You're listening to Rosie on the House. Let's head on out back to Arizona and see what we can get our hands dirty with this Saturday morning. It's the 8 o'clock hour. It's Rosie on the House, third Saturday of the month. We have Mr. Jay Harper, a multi-generational gardener here in the great state of Arizona, now with the Farms Choice. And Jay... I've got a stack of long questions here for you. <laughs> it's transition time. It is Everybody's transition lawn's time. ugly. <laughs> and it's a strange time because it was cool for so much longer. We've got winter lawns that have held on longer. Yeah, unfortunately, actually, that's not necessarily a good thing for the, for the underlying dormant Bermuda grass because the longer that winter lawn hangs on, the more stress it places you know, on the permanent or underlying warm season lawn that's now trying to come back uh, after being dormant for an extra month or so. It, and it really struggles because, you know, in, in essence, it dies. It just runs out of stored up energy or stored up sugars, carbohydrates that allow it to start to regrow again. So it has to start over from clear down in the roots or even from other plants that made it have to send out new runners and stolons and rhizomes and they have to regrow and fill back in. So it's, uh, it's always, a, it's always a challenge. It's never the same every year. It just, uh, what people want to do though is really try and terminate that ryegrass, you know, and right now it's easier to do because it's hot. So just mow it short. If nothing else, that will generally take care of it. Uh, dethatching is a great thing. Aerification is a great thing. You know, all the golf courses are kind of in the middle or just starting to do all of that to try and give their Bermuda grasses a boost to come back more quickly now. And middle of June, if it was your lawn, would you even try at this point or just wait another two and a half months and overseed early? Try to do, to plant a new lawn or? Yeah, would you just let the Bermuda grass go and just wait and hit hit an early rye seeding? Well, I guess it depends on, on you know, how you intend to use your lawn. Um, you know, if, if, it's, if it's where you're, you have dogs and you have, you know, um, critters or grandkids or whatever that are going to be out in the backyard, even though it's hot, they may still be on the grass. You don't want them tracking in a bunch of a dead, you know, thatch and dust and and maybe even mud then you know it we've got plenty of time you know you um so you know i've always been kind of a proponent if you really you know i mean if you really wanted to save water here let the summer lawn die and just have a really nice winter lawn from october to june um and you could probably keep your winter lawn alive even through june if that's all you were trying to do is keep it going but at this point your ryegrass is probably about half dead or more, um, or it's trying to be. And uh, you've got to decide what your intent is for that lawn. The other issue is if it's your front yard, you can run into some issues with your code enforcement folks in the city you live in. You know, if you're letting a lawn die and not doing anything with it, you can be subject to, you know, some enforcement issues and fines even potentially. If, if that, they'll, they'll want you to either green it up or kill it and put rock in or something. So um, I think it's a lifestyle choice, and I think that's all part of being responsible with our watering as to what you know what you intend to do with that lawn and, and how you're going to use it, or are you going to use it as a lawn? 
Bob specifically asked in his transition, he did a little research, and uh, what he's finding is it's suggesting verticut. Now, I know we've talked about aerating and dethatching, but uh, verticut, uh, what, what is that? Well, it's just a method of dethatching. It's just rather okay. than using a thatch. It's just a different kind of machine. You know, don't homeowners don't, I don't even know that you can rent a verticutting machine anymore. I mean, you might be able to, but basically a power rake is what you probably will find, and it just is a method of dethatching. So get a good get a good power rake. Go to A to Z Rents, your local rental facility, and, and get a good power rake and, and get in there and dethatch it. Make sure you mark your sprinkler heads um, mm. so you don't, <laughs> depending on how high or low they're set, so you don't ruin those. Um, and, and be aggressive. I mean, get in there and get it right down to where basically it looks like you're churning up dirt. Um and uh, that will, you'd be surprised how fast that Bermuda will come back once you remove all of that canopy and that, all that competition from it. it. You know, get some, once you've got it dethatched and you've got it all cleaned up, you know, get some fertilizer on it and, uh, you know, start watering it pretty regularly. Don't, don't overwater it. You don't need to overwater it, but, you know, good two to four inches of water a week uh, that will maintain a good, healthy Bermuda grass lawn. Uh, and and maybe even throw some gypsum on it. It's a good time to put gypsum or soil sulfur on it, along with the fertilizer, and it'll it'll come back quick with 100 and 105 degree days and these warm nights. The nighttime temperature is really what is going to make that grass start jumping. And it doesn't seem like there's any standard for dethatching. You go to the shade conference, and some people say, no, you do it before your winter grass. Some say, no, you do it uh, to get your Bermuda growing. Some say you do it every year. Some say, ah, you only have to do that every couple of years. Well, you, you do not want to do it going into winter. I mean, that was one way that folks did it to kind of prep for the ryegrass, and they found that's probably pretty damaging to go in and, disrupt that Bermuda because because when you get in and dethatch and and prune basically that those Bermuda grass runners it's going to want to regrow and it and then at that time of year it you know it should be starting to slow down and store up energy and you just don't want to do it when you want to dethatch is when the lawn is vigorously growing and it's going to recover so we go in now and and prune heavily or dethatch your lawn uh, as part and it works great as part of this transition process um, so don't do it in fact really the thinking now is when you go to plant your your winter lawn is to just scalp as minimally as you can that Bermuda grass just enough so that you can get the seed through the canopy and down to the to the soil level so doing as, as little damage as possible uh, is what you really want to do in the fall. And really do it later. Later the better. Um, you know, folks kind of start seeing golf courses doing it, and, and, and they economically have to do it because they've got a lot of golfers coming in when that weather breaks in October, and they want to be playing on a nice green golf course. They don't want to be tearing their golf course up in the middle of October. But middle or latter part of October is probably when most homeowners should even just beginning to do it. They shouldn't be doing it in September or early October. You had mentioned watering the lawn. How, uh, I will say, first of all, the technology, and you were mentioning water savings and being responsible, what sprinklers used to put on and what they do put on now, you can still get the same amount of water onto your lawn, 
but you're using a lot less water instead of, you know, like a, a spray that a lot of water evaporates. You've got streams that come on. You can angle it so precisely that you don't get a lot of water onto dirt or concrete or side rocks. You don't need to waste water watering your lawn. Yeah, the, the new low-volume heads are not influenced by winds. So you don't have to worry about the wind blowing the, 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 the water out onto the sidewalk or into the street. But even with those, we want to make sure they are, you know, directed correctly so that, you know, you have, you know, the right trajectory. You're not spraying too far and that it's going where it needs to go. So there is still a little maintenance that you need to make sure you do there. But, um, yeah, these new MP rotator low-volume uh, nozzles are, are great, uh, especially for somebody that has water pressure problems. They're a... They're a, they're a great solution for that as opposed to maybe having to put another valve in. You can switch to the low-volume nozzles, and you can run more heads uh, than you can on the old heads. So it's also kind of uh, unintended, but that will help, you know, if you have some water pressure issues as well. Did you get a chance to look at that sprinkler lift, that new product? Yeah, I did. That's kind of interesting. I, I I haven't visited with anybody that does that for a living yet about it, but uh, it it is kind of a, a new way to treat what's not actually as easy a job as you think it is, going in and raising up sprinkler heads if they've, you know, if they've gotten too low over the years, the grass is built up, and now your nozzle's, hit, you know, not able to rise up above the canopy or your lawn and your your sprays getting deflected and not going where it should go and that's one thing we see that you know the sprinklers that are along the sidewalk you know spraying into the middle of your lawn you know they get deflected by the the lawn and they just blows that water back onto the sidewalk and it runs down the gutter so that's that's a sure way to save some water is to make sure your your sprinkler heads are at a proper level where you're spraying water where it needs to be and this thing just kind of raises or increases the body uh height of the uh of the sprinkler head and it's you know you don't have to take the whole uh head out it's kind of a neat neat way to go it looks like to me i don't know what it costs and how practical it is from that standpoint but that's always always been a bugaboo for me you're taking that head out the body out and dirt gets down in there and you're plugging your heads up (laughs) it's never as easy as you think it ought to be to do that you know it's funny Bill Jenkins of Think Green Irrigation and Landscape Design had a conversation I had with him. He said, you know, when I learned this irrigation install from my dad, we prided ourselves on how deep we put the water lines and set it. And this is quality building. And he goes, you know what? We changed that after about the fourth or fifth time we had to go back and repair the sprinklers. They're they're plastic parts. They break down. They need to be replaced. He's like, you don't gain anything by digging them deeper. We bury those things as shallow as we possibly can. So when we have to go to repair them, we don't have to make this massive, intrusive uh, hole to get down to our sprinkler components. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and really, you know, with, with PVC that, you know, you don't need to go that deep in our, especially here, we don't have, you know, freezing soils and lifting and you know permafrost and all those things to to deal with it doesn't really gain you anything other than just being deep enough that obviously they you know they they don't lift up out of the ground on you 
If you'd like to join the conversation, have a landscape garden question, one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. You can text questions to four one one nine two three or send an email if you need to snap a picture and need a little help with plant or insect identification. You can email that to info at rosieonthehouse.com. Outdoor Living Hour with Jay Harper. You know, we covered lawns pretty extensively. But you know what we didn't cover was weeds. <laughs> there, well, if there you have are. a really good lawn, you won't have any weeds. We, yes. <laughs> yeah, but I, but not all of my yard is oh, lawn Oh, okay. All right, and the truth comes not out. not only we, but the entire state has a plethora of weeds from all the rain this season. Now, a lot of them have dried out, and they are fire hazards. But uh, in areas that we do irrigate, there is still an abundant amount of weeds. Yeah, you know, it, when you have uh, that much moisture and that cool of a spring, they, they do persist. And now they're, most of them have dried out. But uh, so weeds are, you know, weed is just a, a plant that's not, it's growing where it's not supposed to be. Um, you know, so almost anything can be a weed if it's in the wrong place. Uh, What's the right way to go, Jay? If you've if you've let, you know, if, if you have a yard full of weeds, should you try to get them while they're green? Or I know a lot of people have waited till they've all turned to kind of straw, and now they're weed eating them out. Easier but, to kick out. But don't, well, don't you end up with more next year because everything's seeded by then? Well, yeah, that's the real problem when you let them mature and dry up, and then especially if you're going in there with a weed eater and just you know, spraying it all, you know, you're, you're Mm -hmm. spreading it all over the place. Now you've got lots of weed seed that's been redistributed all over the place. Um, That's going to potentially be a problem again next year. So the smaller a weed is, the easier it is to eliminate, whether you're going to pull it, you know, manually or spray it chemically. Um, It's just the most effective. Plus then you don't let it go to seed and start a whole nother generation. Now, a, a word of help that will help those folks that, you know, just didn't get around to it. Now it's dry. Now they're, you know, they're weed-eating them or knocking them down or raking them up or pull whatever, is to make sure you use pre-emergent herbicides um, this spring and especially, you know, next fall. Uh, that will help a lot of that regeneration if we do have another round of moisture. And, and we almost always get enough winter moisture to grow weeds. <laughs> <laughs> so the more weed seed you have, the the less moisture it takes to grow some. Um, so if you've if you've got that situation, especially if you have a, a gravel or granite or desert type landscape, make sure you're using a pre-emergent herbicide a couple times a year. That will cut down on the amount of chemicals that you have to spray. Uh, it will cut down on a lot of work. It, it, there's probably not anything in the gardening world that that can ease your amount of workload than using pre-emergent herbicides. And, and that kind of work is, in my mind, not fun. You know, it's not planting things and harvesting things and cultivating things. That's, Even mowing that's, the lawn, that fresh cut grass. Smell. Yeah, I, you know, I, that, that can be at least therapeutic and fun. But, but pulling weeds or dealing with, you know, that is just... I don't know. It's you know, it's not very productive. Not very rewarding. No. no. Hey, Jay, and also when you pre-emergent, 
your yard, don't you need to water that in? Is it? It's it does kind have of good to kind of time that if you see rain coming, maybe. Well, if you can, you know, obviously that's sure that's the best time to do it. But you know, we can't always count on that here, and so um, you know, especially the fall applications. Generally, that that's you know pretty dry time of year. Um, so you you do have to activate them by watering them in, and uh, so plan on that. But if you've got big desert landscapes that watering isn't, uh, you know, that practical, uh, then, you know, trying to time it just ahead of a, of a good soaking rain is a great way to go. What's your best method for getting rid of ragweed? I used to complain about cheeseweed. I will never complain about a cheeseweed again because at least the goats, the horses, the ponies, even the dogs sometimes eat cheeseweed. Nothing will eat the ragweed. And I've got four different methods that I am attacking this ragweed with, depending on where they are. If it's in a lawn, I've got one method. If it's out uh, in the undeveloped landscape, I've got another method. But then if it's in my uh, orchard or fruit orchard, you know, we don't want to do a chemical application. So we've got another method. And I will tell you, none of them seem to work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the orchard, you're probably relegated to either just, you know, knocking them down, mowing, keeping them mowed down um, mechanically. Um, you can try and pull it. It's pretty tough. to There again, if you can catch it when they're little uh, and very young, you know, you have a chance. Uh, once they get pretty big, that's a, you know, it's a big, vigorous plant, uh, and it's hard to pull and it's hard to control. So, you know, you might be just as well off just trying to keep it knocked back, keep it from going to seed. You know, trying to, you know, just keep it mowed off. Um, if it's out in the gravel or granite, you know, you can use, certainly use non-selective herbicides to, you know, to, to burn it up. Try and get rid of it. You know, you try burning them. <laughs> um, so, Rosie's we, I was wondering, I was wondering when we'd get around to what really worked. <laughs> Rosie's right. And, well, so we've burned them. But these ragweed roots, they put on new growth. The next day, it oh, seems wow. like. And there is one area I continue to go back and reburn and reburn and reburn. But we're trying to get it in it's eight different areas of the property that it's consumed. You know, and you can't burn five acres of property <laughs> every Saturday afternoon when you get home. That would be frowned on. <laughs> You're going to have to just tell us at the end of the season what's the best way to do it. All right. Well, I I will have that perfected at some point. Gary D says we've got callers on the line, but we still have an open line. We'll get to them right after bottom of the hour news. If you've got a question and you want to talk to Jay, 1-888-767-4348. That's 1-888-ROSIE for you or shoot a text to 411-923. bring that into the conversation this Saturday morning at one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Matt, good morning, sir. How may we help you? Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Very good. Um, so I've got a, um, I've got the MP rotator uh, sprinkler heads and I've got a smart irrigation controller for my lawn. And um, I'm all about saving water. And I don't think that smart irrigation controller is very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it actually has my lawn being watered every day. 
um, except for the day that I tell it not to because that's when I mow. So is that is that thing really dumb and it's just sold as a smart controller? Do I need to adjust that so it's not watering <laughs> six days a week? Well, a couple of things. I don't know why. You certainly don't need to water turf every day. I mean, you know, you, the ideal situation and, and, and the MP rotators are perfect for this is to water for long periods of time and as least often as you can get away with it. That, you know, so getting the water down as deep in the soil profile as, as, as you can to, so that those plants, including turf, will be deep rooted and be able to go longer periods between irrigations. Um, the other thing is that you need you do have to water MP rotators. They're putting on low amounts of water, low volume water. You can't water them for ten or fifteen minutes typically. They've got to run for extended periods of time to put enough water on. Um, that's that's how they're designed. So that's one of the things to, that we have to educate folks when they use those. You've got to change. You know your your ten or fifteen minute watering becomes a thirty or forty minute or forty five minute watering with those. So I, I don't know what to tell you. I know I know there are there are struggles with the smart controllers trying to get them, you know, in jive with with watering techniques and and, and it could be that you have one that's not working properly and uh, uh, you might. Did you buy it at a local irrigation supply store or? No, I, I got it at the um, SRP. At the SRP. Okay. Yeah. Well, you might. And I've had it for a couple of years, and it's it's always done this. So, do I need to? Would it be better to just set the grass at a, you know, to water it more deeply, and then just force it to shut off, you know, three or four uh, days uh, out of the week? That may be what you have to do. Is just kind of override. Okay. It. Yeah. All right. So I got to be smarter than it is. You, yeah. You you know you need to be the smart controller. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Yeah. No, thanks so much. All right. You're welcome. You know. Now, John, um, in my personal experience, when it comes to saving water and maintaining a lawn, I was blown away the first time I core aerated my yard and saw how much less water it took to make it look good. Absolutely. The the problem with core aerifying is it's it's a not an easy machine to go get and bring it, home. It's sure not. So you, that, you need to go in with your neighbor and a couple of guys on the block, rent a little trailer with a ramp, because yep. that's a heavy, big, fairly cumbersome piece of equipment. Yep. But, uh, boy, if you go through the effort of core aerating, I want to say, you know, and I'll do it about every three years, four years now, uh, when I do it, I could almost use half the water. And have the lawn look just as good. Well, that wouldn't shock me. And, you know, there isn't a golf course in the world that doesn't core aerify at least once a year. And in some cases, certain parts of their course, they do it multiple times a year. It's that effective. It's that worth doing. So uh, yeah, if you can figure out how to get the machine home, and, and let me just say this. The little things you strap on the bottom of your shoes when you're mowing your lawn. <laughs> I was just wondering about those. those. You're, you're wasting your money unless you want oh. to use them for ice shoes or something, you know, to help better traction if we ever get a, a really cold snap and we have frozen sidewalks around here and they might help you with that. But they, they don't work. That's not – in fact, that's not removing a cost. Just and, and, so, and there is some validity to actually just, you know – depressing a hole and doing a solid 
uh, tine hole, but really core aerification. We're actually driving a hollow spike into the ground and removing a core of soil is the most effective thing to do. And it's a good idea to water heavy the day before. Getting out there on a hard, <laughs> compacted uh, top. Now you'd have a you have a buck and bronco all over your the hand. place. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not good. And that's why that machine is so heavy. That's why it's so cumbersome. It's got to be heavy to 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 drive those spikes down into the into the ground. But yes, you need need to you do need to do it on fairly moist soil. You don't want it muddy, wet, but you know fairly moist soil. And there again, boy, make sure you mark sprinkler heads and cable lines and <laughs> all kinds of things that might be shallowly buried because they will destroy those in a hurry. And there's even some I've seen, You, they have a plastic container on the top that you can fill water to make it even heavier. Oh, you can do that. I've seen guys take cinder blocks and wire them to... You know, you know, or or <laughs> dumbbell or dumb dumbbell weights off their dumbbell. You know, since we're not using, most people aren't using their dumbbells anymore or their weights anymore. Anyway, they're usually gathering dust in the garage, so you can strap them on there, and and that'll weight you down some too. You bet. We talked about pre-emergent in the last segment, and Texture says they have used a product called Weed Stop for twenty plus years, and it worked great until the last two years. It doesn't work like it used to. Um, and you want to know, could, did, did, did they change the formula uh, or what's going on? I, I've seen sometimes you just have to change up what you're using sometimes. It seems like uh, you know, these plants can kind of adapt after a certain well, time. Well, yeah, that's a possibility. And then when you have periods of really wet winters like we had this last winter, your, your length of uh, effectiveness on a pre-emergent will get shortened by that you know, because there's so much water. You know, just shortening the length, leaching it out, uh, that sort of thing. So you might have to do it more frequently. It and and it could have to do with their timing. You know, we've had, you know, weather changes and different things. So possibly, I'm not familiar enough with the product to know if they've changed it or not, or changed the dilution. It could be how, you know, how much you're diluting it needs to change. I'm not sure. I I, I can't speak to that. So. Well, change it up, try it again. You, you can't, uh, or, or maybe you can't. Can you over pre-emerge? <laughs> well, sure, yeah, you can. I mean, sure. Number one, you just, you can waste money, you know, by just doing it more often than it needs to be done. Number two, you know, it's never a good idea to to use more of anything than it than is directed. Um, That's opposite than you were taught, Romy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> So just just from a, a, a responsible, you know, you are putting a chemical on the soil. So we want to make sure you could build up a toxicity, I'm sure, if you had too much of certain things in the soil. So be careful of that. And if you changed your mind and wanted to plant something there eventually, then you'd want to not overdo it. Well, it would it would inhibit anything from seed coming up. Typically, it doesn't affect anything that's you're planting, you know, a plant of, but... Certainly, you got, you got to take that into account. What am I going to be doing in that place three or four months down the road? Now, I did not catch the caller. Zach. Zach. Zach Sorry. from Phoenix has a question. Mr. Zach. Thank you, Gary. Bring him on in. Hey, this is Zach you, from Phoenix. Yes, sir. Hey, I have a question. 
Uh, first of all, I want to say uh, thanks for all, all you guys do, and sorry you're missing your, your rodeo. But I have a question about uh, irrigation lines, you know, the buried underground black tubing that goes to, like, drip or bubbler systems. Okay. I, I have it, and it's, it's developing leaks all the time. So yeah. is it possible to replace that with, with a more rigid, substantial PVC? And is there, like, a connectors that will connect to the same – uh, spaghetti lines and then connect into that, you know, existing black tubing? Well, there's a couple things you can do, and we're seeing a lot of this. A lot of the old poly black drip tubing is now 15, 20, 25, 30 years old, and it and it's wearing out. Um, and so there are a couple of options. You can just replace it, uh, just run new tubing throughout your yard with the same stuff, and you'll get another 15 to 20 five years out of it. Um, you can replace it with PVC, which is harder to do and more expensive. And there are risers and then there's a port that goes on the riser and you run your quarter inch tubing off of that port to your plants. Um, and and that's, that's a great way to do it. It's certainly more permanent, but it, you know, it's expensive and harder. You know, it takes more work to do trenching and you know, gluing fittings and and that sort of thing, and there there is another product out there. I just did this. Um, my brother Jerry, who's a sprinkler contractor, did this for me when I did my front yard. And there is a thicker walled, flexible tubing that's black, just like drip tubing, but it's thicker walled, and it's you know you can't quite do it the same. You you have to do the ports like you do with PVC on the ends of them, and then run your quarter tubing. You can't punch a hole in it. Um, like we did with the old polyethylene stuff. So there's there's three options for you. Just r- duplicate what you have now, which is the easiest and okay. simplest to do. Go to PVC, which is the most permanent but the hardest to do and most expensive, or check out the thicker-walled uh, dripping. And I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of, of that product, but if you go to a like Sprinkler World or someplace like that, they could that could direct you to that product. And I did the same thing, Zach. I put in the drip line, and you'd mentioned for our orchard mechanically mowing. And one reason that it has limited effect, Jay, is you've got five different individual spaghetti lines all spread around, so you can only get the back of that bush hog so close before you're ripping up <laughs> sprinkler lines. And you, no matter how careful I am, I always have to go back and repair one or two here. And, uh, the rabbits, they love to chew up that black plastic. I, mean, I chase leaks constantly. And I thought, all right, one day. This is this is on my one-day list. One-day list. My, my one-day list is pretty long. But one day, <laughs> we're going to retrench everything, put PVC back in, and do a bubbler on each side. That way I can sweep the bush hog yeah, underneath and just know all of my drip lines are right here. In this perfect row, if you're running on this if, side and yeah, that side, if you're running drip in a turf situation, that's just not a good salute. You know, it's got all kinds of problems. You're you you're, you're you hit the nail on the head. You need PVC and a bubbler like we did in the old days, uh, so that you you're not running into all those little you know, that quarter inch tubing just you know and uh, and weed eaters or string trimmers are not very compatible. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> that's a good word for it. I'd mentioned my problem with ragweed, and a couple of people asked for pre-emergent. And I will tell you one thing that uh, has worked very well for killing 
The foliage of the radweed is Bonide's Burnout. It's a citric acid and clove oil. It's all organic, and that's the only thing we'll put in the orchard because we don't want to use glyphosate, which is what your ingredient roundup is. And there's, I mean, you could read just as many reports that say it's not harmful as there are reports that say it is. So we just took it out of the equation and don't use it in the orchard. But uh, it kills the foliage. But I've noticed we have to keep applying it because it doesn't kill the root. Now, eventually, I think we kill the foliage enough, the root will die off. But I mean, that, that'll brown up a weed in less than an hour. It's, it's good stuff. And it, it's an organic. And it's funny. You can tell it's, you, you smell it for like three days afterwards. That clove aroma has a very prominent uh, aroma. But it, it's pricey. Uh, so it, it goes back to what you're saying. Get them, get them early. And yeah. for keeping those bunnies out of that area, too, you can use that bonide repels off. So quit eating your tubing, <laughs> kill your weeds, and you'll be get, you're getting on, on the way. Yeah, you know, when, when you get past an acre size of an orchard, there's a lot of – finding that in a large enough volume becomes the challenge. Somebody oh, just posted that uh, on Facebook that they uh, – you know, that uh, orbit uh, – thing you hook up to the hose and it you know that when they break the beam it shoots a stream of water those are on sale on uh, amazon apparently so if you got oh, a lot of rabbits, activated yeah, sprinklers yeah, yes you can, <laughs> <laughs> you can you can actually it's pretty entertaining to watch <laughs> <laughs> i have used those for a while but like all things plastic in the desert yeah they they break down into and, and you can daisy chain them and to have enough to go around the entire orchard and you're you're over a thousand bucks now. <laughs> you know, but if you're looking for a small area, they do work great. A pretty good rabbit repellent that also acts as a fertilizer is blood meal. Um, you just scatter some blood cheap. meal. And that's cheap. I never thought of that. It's relatively inexpensive, provided provided you don't have dogs in the same area because it attracts. It does just the opposite for dogs, and they'll they'll get and in. They'll it come dig it up. Dig it up, <laughs> and yeah. So roll in it. Yeah, yeah. So if you've got a place where you can kind of keep, you know the away from the dogs blood meal is a great uh, rabbit repellent well we spent just about most of the morning talking weeds and lawn what else gardening do we need to be checking on our properties mr harper well, there's all kinds of stuff, you know, if you've, uh, you know, obviously checking your watering system to your trees and shrubs and vines and making sure that's scheduled properly. Again, you need to be the smart controller. Some, don't rely on, you know, it's just the, the smart controller, I think, has just kind of kicked the can down the road to some degree. We we went to automatic sprinkler systems back in the 70s and 80s, and people just relied on them too much. Now, I think you got to be careful not to rely on the the smart controller if you're switching to those too much you know they're wonder they can be really good but you still need to be you know, in control of your controller so to speak um, making sure that uh, you know if you haven't you still got time to fertilize your citrus and shade trees uh, you know like uh, Memorial Day has not passed that long ago that's just a signal to time to do it so make sure everything is well fertilized you know plants that are in good shape from a fertility standpoint will have a better chance of withstanding, you know, heat and stress going through the summertime. Uh, and, you know, if you're still kind of messing around in the vegetable garden, there are things you can still plant in the really hot weather, okra, eggplant, 
Um, you know, just to name a couple that will still tolerate and go into the hot weather. If you want to make use of that vegetable garden and make sure you're getting yields, you should be picking lots of tomatoes now, picking, you know, your peppers. Things should be ripening pretty quickly. If you've got peach trees, you, you, if you don't have a net on them, you want to get a net on them. If you've got peaches that are getting ready to ripen, some have already ripened and have been picked, but, uh, so make sure you're doing you do know those. What? A bird net would not have saved my peaches this year. Why? Bees. Have you ever seen bees eat peaches? Uh, they stripped three trees. No, I have not. Like in three days. What kind of bee was that? I don't know. Lots of them. <laughs> Did you big have bee, kids inside? Big bees. No, we, we hardly noticed. Uh, went out there on Sunday. Over the weekend, ate a few. We're like, oh, man, by the next weekend, these things are going to be great. Went out there, and they were all completely stripped. And the last one, I went to them like, what? You could hear it humming as you walked up to it hmm. and got in close and looked at it. And there would be six or seven bees on each peach, and they would just strip it down to the uh, stone fruit inside. Are, are you talking honeybees? You know, like our, you know, the typical must, honeybee? must must not have been honeybees. I, I, they, they didn't answer. I, I asked. Are you okay. honeybee? Are you bumblebee? <laughs> you, went, you should ask them, zzz, not zzz. <laughs> yeah. Never heard of um, that. I, I didn't have one. my... <laughs> so, and uh, according to Blue Sky Pest Control, you actually have to DNA test to really get positive ID on a bee. And I'm You're not going to do that? quite that curious. <laughs> <laughs> that means you got to catch them. So you, you capture them, and then you've got to pay to go, oh, I'm not sure I'm quite that curious. But yeah, I had bees uh, eat my peaches this year. Well, they're sweet bees then. Sweet bees. I'll tell you what, if they were honeybees, I'd sure like to find it. That's some good honey. Yeah, no some kidding. Peach honey. <laughs> the best best breakfast in, out there, peach honey. We've got uh, our final little segment here. If you had a question and didn't get answered, you can send those to info at rosieonthehouse.com, uh, and we'll get those answered during the week. Uh, you said you okra's know, still good to plant. Yeah, Is it too late for pumpkins? Uh, no, a little early, actually. Um, July. Oh, okay. July is when you want to plant pumpkins so that you have a, you know, a harvestable pumpkin by Halloween and can, can do a jack-o'-lantern. So that's coming up. Um, and, and of course, then, you know, we ought to be mulching, putting, you know, organic compost and mulches around our, our peach trees, our rose bushes, trying to cool that soil down, hold moisture. That'll also control weeds. Um, so make sure you're doing that for that's a great, uh, good anti-summer, anti-heat uh, remedy for the garden is lots of mulch. We've got our open home hour coming up. If you've got a question about your home castle or cabin, Rosie's here, Tom Riley's here, Dave Barrett's here. We've got a whole host of home experts here for the next two hours. 